From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. The Labor National Conference has been meeting this week in Brisbane and it's gone very well for Anthony Albanese and his government. On Friday, the conference backed the AUKUS agreement in a decisive vote. However, it did take some wrangling behind the scenes, although the result was never really in doubt. In his keynote speech on Thursday, the Prime Minister stressed the importance of making this government a long-term one. He pointed out that if a Labor government was only in briefly, a later Conservative government could very easily undo any reforms it had achieved. What he was really saying to the Labor faithful was, be patient, we can't do everything at once, and don't rock the boat and they didn't. On the sidelines of the conference, we caught up with Roger Cook, the new Western Australian Premier, who follows the very popular Mark McGowan. Please excuse some background noise in this interview, which was done very much on the fly. Roger Cook, let's start first with your impressions of this ALP conference. Well, it's the first ALP national conference face-to-face for five years. So in that sense, it's a very important opportunity to bring the Labor family nationally back together again. Um, It's been a a great spirit and a great sense of confidence by having Anthony Albanese uh, be able to speak at the conference and to be, you know, our Labor Prime Minister. So there's a good feel in the room, uh, but obviously uh, the country's got some complex issues that it has to confront. And, and they will you know, find their voice on the floor of the conference. It has seemed so far, and we're talking mid-conference, mm. more bland than conferences of olden days. What do you think? Well, well um, I mean, I haven't been to a national conference for many years. Um, I was the deputy, so the deputy never goes to conference. That's the, that's the prerogative of the leader. Uh, but my sense of it is that um, there is a great sense of unity in the room, and maybe that gives rise to people feeling that, you know, the, the drag them, you know, knock them down, drag them out. The debates aren't, you know, as prominent as, as maybe they used to be in the past. Let's turn to some Western Australian matters. Mm. You recently back down on the cultural heritage legislation. But how did the government get that wrong in the first place, or so wrong? Yeah, the laws themselves were crafted over a five-year period. It was a very extensive and long consultation process um, involving industry, farming groups, uh, Aboriginal groups. And, uh, and I, I guess by the end of it, the package itself became so complex that it was difficult to explain. and. Um, and from that perspective, I just thought we were better off uh, stopping the division and the confusion that, that the, the laws in their current form uh, were causing and move back to a more simple, understood model and ensuring, and this is the most important aspect of it, that the laws that we have would not allow another Duke and Gorge to take place. So we're making some minor and effective amendments to the original legislation, which will, which will mean that that doesn't happen. And we will take, as a government, a much more active role in the Aboriginal cultural heritage work to understand, to preserve, and to really make sure that the community is better served um, by that process. Have you had blowback from the Indigenous community at this backdown? Well, look, I've, I've got a, an Aboriginal organisation background myself, so I spoke with a lot of people that I've worked with or can, and continue to work with. Um, 
I think there was a, a level of confusion and anxiety with the laws in, the, in their new form um, and a sense of relief. But Even from Indigenous people? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. And um, But that relief will only uh, come to uh, support if we can now move to ensure that Aboriginal people continue to have control over their Aboriginal cultural heritage and making sure that we uh, do the right thing by the community. How is the voice referendum going in WA? Because of course it has to get a, a majority of states as well as an overall mm. majority and I think there is particular concern in states like WA? Yeah, look, look, I think Western Australia is suffering from the same uh, issues that you see across the country, and that is the scare campaigns, the division that's being whipped up uh, is um, making people apprehensive. I'm optimistic in relation to the campaign. There isn't even a date yet for the actual referendum. And I think once that happens and people start to focus more upon the issues, they will see that the voice is about important principles like recognition, acknowledgement and consultation. Uh, that's a very simple proposition and I think it's one that every fair-minded Australian would support. You'd expect that date to be October? Uh, we're led to believe it will be um, in the next three to six months, yes, and I hear October spoken of. Um, I don't know the date myself, that's the prerogative of the Prime Minister and he'll make that announcement in due course. Western Australia and its minerals are obviously absolutely critical to Australia's exports. Do you expect that in coming years there'll be more pressure from climate activists against the um, minerals industry? Well. Critical minerals will play a pivotal role in terms of allowing us to move through the energy transition to a renewable and green energy future. So from that point of view, mining is going to continue to be, play a crucial role as we move to decarbonise our, our economy and economies across the world. And, and in that context, um, iron ore mining is crucial for the materials that we're going to need to build the wind turbines and other infrastructure which will be an essential element of that energy transition. So I think people will understand the importance that mining will continue to play. But I'd like to make this observation. If you have renewable energy, you, you have the opportunity to produce green steel, the opportunity to actually manufacture precursor um, uh, iron products uh, on Australian soil, represents a huge opportunity for our economy and for, and for jobs if we can manage to harness the renewable energy which we'll, which we'll use in those processes. What about gas? Gas is going to continue to play an important role in the energy transition over the next five to ten years. I understand that's a harder debate to have for the community because people see it as being synonymous with, with greenhouse gas emissions. But as we want to transition from gas to renewable energy, a lot of economies around the world are still working out how they can transition from coal and, uh, and so gas plays an important role in lowering the emissions for energy production in those countries as well. Of course the protest against the Woodside CEO got uh, national headlines of a protest at her home which was obviously very intrusive. Are you satisfied with how this has been handled and uh, explained? Um, I still have my apprehensions about the conduct of the journalists in that context. Um, uh, I am satisfied that they weren't part of an elaborate conspiracy, but I do think they had an obligation to interrogate themselves in terms of the role that they were playing 
in what was clearly an illegal activity at someone's private property. And I'm not satisfied with the, the explanation that they didn't know where they were going. It was clear that it was a private residence. It was clear uh, that it was a confrontational activity. And I'm not quite sure how you can defend the action of standing by and allowing that to take place. But is that now the end of the affair? Nothing more obviously is being done or pursued by your government? No, no, uh, not, not by us, although obviously we continue to look at what legal avenues we have to protect people who are simply going about their jobs. And um, I'm aware of laws which have been struck in other states in relation to these matters, so that's something that we'll continue to monitor. I'm sure uh, the whole experience in relation to the, um, the protests at Meg O'Neill's house have, have been a wake-up call for everyone in terms of what the community believes is appropriate activity for people to go about their protests. And of course, the opportunity to protest is a very important one of our, in our democracy and we need to defend that as well. Now you've uh, touched on some of the opportunities from the uh, climate transition. Are there more opportunities though for your state and what are some of the challenges of this transition? So to decarbonise our economy we have to significantly improve the capacity of our electricity networks and so that's going to be a big challenge for us to make sure that the state government's investment is ahead of the private investment which will benefit from having that extra transmission capability. We also know that we have a big role to play in improving transport infrastructure, making sure that industrial lands are available for people to be able to construct hydrogen uh, and renewable energy facilities and we need to continue to make sure that we have our investment to facilitate the private investment which will steer us along the energy transition. Now there is a report today in the Financial Review that the government has been forced to push back plans to shut down coal-fired power generation after warnings about uh, supply shortages. How serious is this? Well we are still committed to closing our coal-fired power stations by 2030. Uh, that is a target that we maintain. But obviously as we move towards that period of time we have to monitor the availability of power in our southwest interconnected system to make sure that we can keep the lights on, the air conditions on, and that people can uh, draw on the electricity they need for their manufacturing. So as we move down that pathway, there will be adjustments as we go along. We also need to uh, be conscious of the fact that a lot of these coal-fired power stations are getting towards the end of their lives. So some we may need to hold on to because we have to retire others earlier. We're making significant investments in battery energy uh, infrastructure at the moment because we have great renewable power sources in the southwest. But of course we need to harness that so that we can smooth the transmission over the, the course of any 24-hour period. But we're making great headway in relation to those investments. Um, so we are on target for retiring our coal-fired power stations by 2030. The federal opposition is talking about the potential for nuclear energy and of course that's running into a lot of flack from uh, the government. What's your feeling about nuclear energy? Well, I think we will certainly see a diversification of energy sources over the next decade. Um, I, I see thorium uh, technology starting to improve. Um, I see a whole range of, of technologies being brought to the hydrogen 
production space as well. So what we are confident of is that we can move through that energy transition. What that looks like in 10 years time is still a question to be answered. And that will really depend about the technologies that get developed over the next five to 10 years and are brought to bear. Are you at all open to nuclear power? I'm not sure what role it could play for a population like Western Australia, which is got a small capital city of around about 2.6 million, and then a highly diverse population across the rest of the two and a half million square kilometres, which is our state. So we think microgrids will play a bigger role in our distributed network, um, but we are very confident that renewable energy will provide the significant source of energy into the future, particularly as we start to provide the infrastructure around transmission, industrial lands, so that these investments can take place. What about more widely in Australia, though? Do you think we should at least keep our minds open to the possibility? Well, I think that's a crucial point, and we do need to keep our minds open to all possibilities in the energy transition because the technology in, and the science in this area is evolving on an almost monthly basis. So the world's going to look very different. We have to be open to the technology as it evolves. During the pandemic, the West ran its own race and it got some flack for that, but it seemed to also work pretty well. Has that experience changed attitudes in, in Western Australia? I mean, they were always very distinct, I guess, but has it made the state more assertive, more feeling that the East doesn't really understand it? Well, there's certainly a great confidence in Western Australia, and some of that's borne out by the fact that we did so well in managing our experience in the pandemic. Uh, we know that uh, Southeast Asia and, and the other emerging and strongly developing uh, economies of our region are going to provide the future for Western Australia's economic prosperity. So we're not looking to the East Coast for leadership. We are providing our own pathway to the future, and that is around critical minerals, rare earths, the, the renewable energy um, revolution that we're about to confront. And the future for Western Australia is extremely bright, and we're very excited about it. And you'd be pretty pleased that our relationship with China is now getting onto a more constructive basis. It's a crucial part of our ongoing economic prosperity. Western Australia represents over half of the value of Australia's exports to China. So China will continue to play a key role for us. But part of our um, focus as a government is to diversify our markets and diversify our industries. And so we are looking to the emerging middle class economies of India, Indonesia, and other parts of Asia to really provide an opportunity for us into the future. Federal Labor did exceptionally well at the election in the West. Do you think it will inevitably lose some seats next time? And how does it best protect itself to minimise the loss, if there well, is to be a loss? Well, I think there'll be some movement, but I'm, I think we can hold our own in Western Australia. and. Um, and I think there are, there are seats to be gained. Um, and of course, we have created the new seat uh, in, in Western Australia, and, but there may be some movements in others. I think the crucial aspect of it is that Western Australians want to know that there's a prime minister that gets them. And Anthony Albanese has been in Western Australia almost a dozen times. He seems to be all election. the time there. <laughs> he spends a lot of time. He took the cabinet to the Pilbara which is a first ever for a, federal, uh, for a federal cabinet. And so he's providing great leadership and 
and people in Western Australia are seeing that and I think they're, they're, they're saying, well, maybe in Anthony Albanese we have a Prime Minister that gets Western Australia and I think that will, that will hold us in great stead for the next federal election. Do Prime Ministers mostly not get Western Australia? Of course, you had one of the greatest Prime Ministers, John Curtin, from the West. Indeed. Uh, yeah, a great uh, historical figure and one that we are very proud of. I think there is a sense in Western Australia that Canberra tends not to get uh, a lot of what goes on in, in the state. Perth is the most is the most furthest uh, capital city from Canberra. And in fact, we're as close to Jakarta as we are to Canberra. We are conscious of our isolation. And I think at times that plays into missed opportunities because we are not as elevated in the minds of the decision makers and business leaders on, on the East Coast. Do you think your fellow premiers now, except in Tasmania, all Labor premiers, will have another go at uh, trying to re-slice the GST? I think people understand that a 70 cents floor in the GST is a reasonable proposition, uh, but I guess they're all focused on the no disadvantage aspects of the, of the GST arrangements. And, and I, I, understand, I understand why they'd be focused on that. We just think that it's fair that Western Australia shouldn't lose less than 70 cents in every dollar raised uh, for the GST. No other state has to pay that much of its own GST to be distributed to the other states. It's a, it's a reasonable proposition and it's one which uh, allows Western Australia to continue to develop its economy uh, because point of fact is that in WA we have to do a lot of the heavy lifting ourselves but you remain alert and alarmed. Absolutely. <laughs> we will always stand up for Western Australians. And there, of course, it's a point about which, um, you know, I'm, there's quite a few jibes from my colleagues, the other premiers around these issues, but I think they respect that we are the engine room of the nation's economies and that we've got a reasonable proposition in saying that we should at least preserve 70, 70 cents in every dollar of GST raised. And on the issue of the weak housing, can the West deliver on its share of uh, these extra houses? I've made it clear to the Prime Minister that it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that we're up for. In Western Australia, uh, we've got great planning reform, which is allowing us to bring housing projects forward. We've got a great deal of land that can be developed for new housing projects. Our constraint is around workforce because we've got a huge demand for workers in both the established and emerging industries of, of the Pilbara and other parts of our economy. And so we actually need the assistance from the federal government is more about skilled migration to make sure we've got the workers to build the houses. That's our key constraint. Just finally, how hard is it to follow a, a rock star premier? Well, Mark provided remarkable leadership for Western Australia and uh, we all greatly respect and admire him for, it, for the time that he's, uh, he spent in the role as Premier. I've received a lot of support in the role that I've taken up and of course I meet with Mark regularly to get his tips. Um, but I've got a great team around me and um, I really appreciate the opportunity to work with uh, a united cabinet, great parliamentary team, so I feel well supported and we're making great progress. Roger Cook, thanks so much for talking with The Conversation. Thanks, Michelle. And that's all for this podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back again soon, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.